Welcome to Dog Talk and Kitties Too. I'm Tracy Hotchner. I wrote the Dog Bible, Everything Your Dog Wants You to Know, as well as the Cat Bible, Everything Your Cat Expects You to Know. This episode features one of the three guests who were part of my weekly hour-long NPR show, broadcast over the air every Sunday on WLIW-FM 88.3, the only NPR station on Long Island, where it is broadcast continuously for 15 years. This show is about dogs, cats, and other creatures who share the planet with us. Please check out my other Pet Talk podcasts at tracyhotchnerpets.com. I'm also the founder and director of the annual New York Dog Film Festival, which travels the country supporting local animal welfare groups after a New York City premiere every October, alongside my annual New York Cat Film Festival, brought to you by Dr. Elsie's. This show would not be possible without the longtime support of Waruva, the pet food company founded and privately run by David Foreman, who named it after his rescued kitties, Webster, Rudy, and Vanessa. Waruva is a quirky name for a company with whimsical names for the dozens of different cans and pouches of cat food they make. But what sets them apart is how serious David is about high-quality nutrition. They were the first pet food company to use human edible ingredients and process them in the same facilities that make human food, remaining privately owned and run, accountable only to their own high standards. This show was also made possible with the generous support of Dr. Elsie's, the privately owned litter and cat food company founded by Dr. Bruce Elsie, a feline-only veterinarian. He personally created many styles of litter to make sure that even the fussiest cats would not have out-of-litter box problems, the number one reason people abandon their cats. Dr. Elsie also created his own brand of cat food called Clean Protein, the first dry cat food I can recommend because it's based on the protein found in a cat's natural prey. I'm also grateful to Earth Animal, which is privately owned by Dr. Bob and Susan Goldstein, where they create holistic pet wellness products with an emphasis on their stewardship of the Pet Sustainability Coalition. Earth Animal makes a dazzling array of healing products for dogs and cats, as well as the innovative dog chew, no hide, and the hybrid dry food wisdom, which is sometimes all that my picky Weimaran or Maisie will eat. I was thrilled to get a book called Dog Lessons, Learning the Important Stuff from Our Best Friends, written by Hirsch Wilson, because this man has the most extraordinary long view of life, long view of his own life, of his life with dogs, and of like the big picture, which is so delightful to spend time with. Hirsch, congratulations on a really unique book that clearly is made up of many small pieces, a crazy quilt of dog love and life love and nature love. It's It, it does seem a life's work, all condensed into one beautiful, physically beautiful book. So congratulations. Thanks, Tracy. That means a lot coming from you. I wish I had had time after I got this book to read your book, Firefighter Zen, because you have a lot of philosophical uh, kind of musings throughout the book, yours and that of other great thinkers from the past. But your book, Firefighter Zen, would have interested me enormously. For 30-something years, you were the assistant volunteer fire chief in your town. Mm -hmm. It's a big deal. I think that, that having been a, a small cog in the in the wheels in East Hampton and having been a volunteer EMT for eight years and seeing the level of commitment that it takes. 33, I think that was the number of years, 
of you doing that. And the fire, being a chief or an assistant chief is so much paperwork and so much recertification <laughs> and so much training right. and so much management right. of pesky humans with their attitudes and their <laughs> efforts to be good and not always succeeding. I really <laughs> admire that. And, and you somehow did that alongside many other things, not the least of which was writing a weekly column for your local Santa Fe paper that seemed to muse on all those things and probably became your firefighter Zen book, but then about dogs. And I think what I love the most about the book is your childhood and reminding all of us who are of a certain age how different life was with our dogs and our families and nature and freedom for all of us when we were growing up. And you seem to still have the ability to celebrate that alongside your dogs. Your, the, the notes that came along with the book didn't really talk about your childhood so much, but it seems to me to have really informed who you are as a dog lover and owner. And I think some of us, you know, baby boomers, let's just say, and even older, can really revel in your very clear memories of what that freedom and that time in nature was like for you and your dogs. Do, do you think that that is who that childhood, that quite unique childhood in Minnesota is a great part of your philosophy in life, or did you develop your Zenness later? I know. I think it, it came um, when my mom, who I owe all this to, um, gave me, she, she taught, we lived on the, on the bluffs overlooking the Minnesota River Valley, and there we, had, we were a family of six, and we moved into this old summer home that had uh, kind of dilapidating heating, no air conditioning, and there were snakes and raccoons wandering in and out of the house. So yeah. It was kind of kid, it was kind of kid heaven. Yes. Um, and my mom maybe learned the uh, kind of history of, of the location, the in, indigenous part, and then the immigration to, of the Germans and the Scandinavians to Minnesota. And once I knew all that history and, and the kind of geologic history of the Minnesota River, she allowed me to take uh, Shawnee, our German Shepherd puppy, um, out into the wild and down to the river bluffs and spend our summers basically wandering um, up and down the river and into the woods. So I think, and I think that's, I think in, in the wildness, in the wilderness, is when you really get the lessons that are important about life and death and about um, how fleeting things are and how the, how the struggle for life uh, everywhere continues. But it's, it's being in the wilderness. And then with a the dog, because what a dog does is, is their senses are more attuned uh, than ours, because um, not only do they see, but they smell, they hear, they're on alert. And, and Shawnee just would lead me to this, um, you know, through the woods every day. And it was just like school became an afterthought because the true lessons, about biology, about physics and chemistry, and about philosophy were taking place in the woods for Shawnee. And of course, at the time, when you were young, you were just being a boy with a dog. And the, the drawings in the book, one of which is used on the cover, are kind of a, a neo-Rockwellian, Norman Rockwell, I made up Rockwellian, mm -hmm. that's not a word, that just sounds pretentious. But <laughs> it looks, I love this drawing so much, and it was one of your fellow firefighters who did the drawings, right? right? What a gifted right. person. It's Dan Bolson, who is a, he is a Western realist artist in Santa Fe, and you can, you can go to his work at danbolson.com. 
he's an amazing artist. Truly. Um, and he, he, he was able to span two worlds of being uh, a, a great firefighter and to be this incredibly sensitive, incredibly creative artist. So, you know, I owe, uh, he did all the drawings in the book. He did the cover for the book. You know, he is, he is definitely one of my heroes. Well, it, it, he encapsulates the joy of a boy and a dog and a stick and being outdoors. A lot of the book, after the childhood and, and, and the, the wildness of it and these German shepherds who were awfully unruly and some of them were really <laughs> aggressive. And you're like, you don't even mention that. I'm reading the book and I'm going, Hirsch, wait a minute. These dogs needed some training. These dogs are out of control. These dogs are actually right. vicious. You didn't, you didn't care. Your mom didn't care. You were also at the end of a long, long dirt road, if I recall. And it was dark, dark, yes. dark at night like real country yep. dark, and your dad was away yep. a lot. So right. I got the sense from the book that a lot of your ideas about the world and your mother's, while she was very brave, like crazy brave, like pioneer woman brave, there was also mm -hmm. kind of a vulnerability. I won't even call it fear, but a vulnerability. She had this pack of children, this pack of dogs, and you were in this, you know, kind of monstrously fabulous house that it would have made somebody tear their hair out. And the idea that the dogs were also your defenders and protectors seems to have maybe, I'm not being, you know, armchair Freud, infected the idea you had later on in the in the book, the ideas that you got later in life about the world being kind of a fearful, a, a frightening place, a, a worrisome place, a place that puts people in jeopardy. The idea of that narrow bridge. Can you talk about that narrow bridge concept which is probably some zen philosophy but it was it was a new idea to me sure so it's um it's an it's from an israeli pop song uh, that was played a lot during the yom kippur war and uh, it dates back to a rabbi from the 17th century and it says that the whole the entire world is a narrow bridge and the most important thing is to have no fear and the idea is that the original idea is that we all, life is about crossing that narrow bridge. Um, and it's terrifying and it's scary, but it's also incredibly beautiful um, and joyous. Uh, and those those two things always come together uh, in life. And, and most of life, to me, it's, it's about understanding that we're going to die. And that's a frightening aspect. But at the same time, and, and the people we love are going to die. That's just reality. And at the same time, we need to find joy. At the same time, we need to find happiness. At the same time, we need to find love. We can't be overcome by fear, um, by anxiety, uh, because our lives are too short. So we always need to find joy. So uh, we're on that narrow bridge, and it's, it's rickety and sways in the wind. And at the same time, we need to find joy. And what I added, um, kind of presumptuously, was that I, I, if I'm going to be on that narrow bridge, I want to be with a dog. <laughs> yes, that's the part I thought was so charming. I didn't really feel like you personally find life frightening, but this philosophy no. it was something that you embrace as possibly a human truth. And the idea that this narrow rickety bridge, which your friend made a gorgeous drawing of, that if you had the dog with you, it sort of felt like, you know, Tom Sawyer. It's going to be scary out there. Not that he had a dog particularly, but just it. there's a Tom Sawyer quality to your life mm -hmm. story. Very outdoorsy, yes. very um, make it up as you go along. Lots of freedom, 
that was the thing. Freedom is, is such a theme throughout the book. Freedom for you, freedom for the dogs. Don't be leashed. Don't be held back by anything. Just embrace where you are. And the idea of going across this, you know, it looks like a bridge suspended between two mountains or something over a chasm, or that's the, the feeling that it gives. That having the mm -hmm. dog there with you gives you strength, gives you courage, I guess. The dogs give so. you emotional courage, and I think that that is sort of one of your themes. Absolutely. And if you go back, if you think about it, dogs and humans are both socially bonding animals, right? Um, and we evolved together almost over 45, depending on what research you listen to, 20 to 40,000 years, uh, co-evolving co to support each other, to trust each other, and to be with each other. And, uh, and I think um, that's why we have such a, this incredibly powerful bond. I think one of the core messages of the book is don't take that bond for granted. Right. It's, it's a miracle. It's a miracle that we have uh, a partner uh, to, to live with and to enjoy life with. Even if they're, they aren't maybe the most mellow partners. Those, those, yeah, th those right. various German shepherds that came through your life. I mean, this is maybe mm -hmm. a side note, but, you know, I always read with this kind of investigative journalist's ear. One ear is that, the other ear is the emotional ear. And I'm like, how did you manage to get so many German shepherds that bordered on vicious or bordered on attack dogs? You didn't teach them to do that. And you talk about breeds. At one point, you talk about breeds and are they predisposed to being a certain way or what does it have to do with their upbringing? And I'm thinking, but you raised all these dogs from puppies. They had this mellow child you know child infused country life did you ever you don't make any comment about it in the book you just comment on how anyone getting out of the car at one point at your house was a target for attack and the great right. image of one of your one of your sisters having to grab a new mailman by the lapels and haul him into the house and slam the door shut because he had not followed the, the child hand-lettered sign saying, do not get out of car here. Yeah, car. So what are your thoughts <laughs> about that? I mean, and now you have well, these mush dogs, <laughs> these lovable mush dogs, you right. know. Exactly. Well, I think, I think part of it was my parents were very young. Um, they got married in their teens, and they had, uh, they had, my mom had eight pregnancies and six surviving children, you know, right after, one after another. So uh, when we got our first, uh, German Shepherd. My mom was 27. And my dad was 28, and they were out. They had no idea what they were doing. They were clueless. Yeah, you did make no that idea. clear about anything, right? About anything. They were just in over their heads, and we had no idea. No one read a manual on how to raise a dog. True. No one, no one had ever had a dog before. So Shawnee was just allowed to be Shawnee, and and she was a very protective dog. Um, and and you know we um, we. We didn't, we took her, to, I think I talk about it in the book, that we did take her to puppy training once, which I failed because Shawnee, I couldn't control Shawnee at eight months because I was too small. Um, and so, so we failed it by, at training. And I, made, you know, I make a point in the book that we are not good dog trainers. Oh, you do and, make and, that and, point. You're very, you're very mellow about it. Right. And with our German Shepherds, it was, it was clear they had, the, they had the run of the, of the land and the household, and they could do whatever they wanted. And there, but the, and I tell the story in the book that um, we boarded horses, uh, our neighbor's horses. Oh my God, once, that story! Yes. Oh my God. Right. My sister was just walking down the fence line with a bucket of oats, and peanuts 
an American bred stallion reached over the fence and grabbed her in, in his teeth and tried to pull her over the fence. It was a Shawnee, who was lounging, Shawnee, our German Shepherd, was laying on the porch, saw that, sprinted down, jumped over the fence onto Peanuts' back and bit, her, and bit Peanuts on the back of the neck. Well, Peanuts went crazy, sprinted away, dropped Patty, and Shawnee just got off the horse and came back and sat down by Patty. And after that, Shawnee wouldn't let any of the kids get near the horses. Shawnee would not let any of the kids get near, like, the lake by our house. She'd always kind of squeeze in between and push them away. So it was just natural for her, you know, as, as kind of the alpha female, to be extremely protective. She, she was, we were, we were she, fine with that. She was like a real-life lassie. I mean, it was exactly. a really great anecdote, and you clearly weren't you know, in, in elaborating on it. I mean, this dog jumps on the neck and back, leaps a fence to get on the back of a stallion to mm-hmm. bite it, to let go of a little girl that it's hauling over the fence. And some stallions can be really vicious. I mean, some horses yeah. can be really vicious, but yeah. this particular one, and it was really cool because then the dog sort of became Nana in Peter Pan in a way, always there, the protector, the nanny, the, the it was, it was yep. great. It, I mean, yep. there were just there's so many stories in there about a childhood that some of us lived, maybe some slice of ourselves. I had a, and you talk about dogs not being spayed or neutered in those days, and they most certainly were not. It wasn't it wasn't done at all by own dogs, and there were communal dogs. There were dogs that just roamed and were lightly owned by somebody. We had a Bedlington Terrier, and just like you didn't know any better, and your parents didn't. We had a Bedlington Terrier, Pango, who was six months old when I was born. So he was my brother. He was a sibling. We, you know, crawled around on the floor together. And I thought it was normal, and we lived in the city and in Connecticut, to have a dog that you had to hold really tightly on the leash because he would go after other male dogs. And he was not neutered, which is supposed to make a dog actually more intelligent and not um emotionally unbalanced, which is what attacking another dog is in dogs. And he would, if he got one, grab it by the throat and hang on tight. And I didn't know that that was a dog who was really way outside the norm. And so, I mean, the book has these anecdotes, Hirsch, that I really love. Stories of us all in our blissful ignorance, you know, in the, it was like Eden. There was a lot of Eden qualities to this, to your life, to the, to the stories mm-hmm. you tell. Innocence, you know, innocence, ignorance, and, and a lot of it was blissful. So I, I just have to say in, in wrapping up, you've written a wonderful book. It is, I could talk about it with you for hours. There's so many aspects to it. All of the, the Eastern mystical stuff is fantastic, but I cannot recommend enough that people get dog lessons, learning the important stuff from our best friends by Hirsch Wilson. And if you have a chance to get Firefighter Zen, which I'm going to do, I'm sure that I highly recommend that too. Thank you for being here, Hirsch. Thank you so much for having me, Tracy. I hope you enjoyed the show. There's a few more special companies that make the show possible, and I hope you'll try their products because they support my mission to entertain you with valuable information and advice. I want to thank Wonderside, founded by a woman entrepreneur who discovered an effective natural way of using plant-powered products to repel fleas, ticks, and other parasites on our pets instead of putting toxic chemicals in or on them. 
Wonderside makes it possible to protect your pets, children, and property without the chemicals that could be harmful to all of us. The show is also underwritten by Evermore Pet Food, privately owned by two dedicated women who take human edible, ethically sourced ingredients and gently cook dog food that is then frozen in pouches and shipped right to your door. They founded and run their own company and answer only to their own high standards. Finally, we're supported by Magic Fabric Pet Throws, developed by a husband-wife team whose expertise in the textile industry solved the problem of their big hairy dog, Molly, who got on the couch in bed with them, despite her wet fur, muddy paws, and shedding. Sound familiar? They created machine-washable Magic Fabric Pet Throws to trap pet hair, dirt, and moisture letting you enjoy dog and cat cuddle time without sacrificing your clothes, furniture, or decor. You can buy direct from the creators at magicfabric.com. 